I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Once I had a pony, her name was Lucifer. I had a pony, her name was Lucifer. She broke her leg and she needed shooting. I swear it hurt me more than it could have ever hurted her. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about New Pony from the wonderful Bob Dylan album, Street Legal, is author and podcaster Harold Lapidus. Hi, Harold. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show finally. I can't believe it's taken this long. Uh, well, it's an honor to be on. I, I've, uh, I've listened to plenty of the shows and it, it's always fascinating whether I know the song well or I don't know the song at all. <laughs> it's, always, it's always an interesting discussion, so I'm looking forward to it. Me too. So thank you very much. So uh, before we get to talking about New Pony, as I said, from Street Legal, the second song off of uh, Street Legal, uh, Harold, I mean, your, your story is probably pretty involved because you've written books about Bob and stuff. How did you become a fan? Well, I'll, I'll try to give you the, the short story. It's like I was, uh, you know, I was around in the 60s and I was aware of him, but I was a bit too young to understand what he was doing. Uh, I had a friend who was trying to get me into him because uh, he was into it, but he just seemed too weird. You know, I just like, Be- <laughs> I started with the Beatles and the Monkeys and then AM radio and, you know, Tom Jones and Tommy James and the Temptations and Johnny Cash and Sly and the Family Stone, things that basically seemed like, you know, there was a, there was some sort of focus and arrangement, and, <laughs> you know, things that seemed to, um, you know, be what I guess one way to look at it would be you know, more commercial music. Um, but st- I still, you know, love that music. But Bob Dylan didn't seem to fit in any of that, uh, any of those styles, whatever. The first song I became aware of when I, ex- you know, uh, expanded my musical knowledge in 1969 was Late Lady Lay. And, you know, I, I didn't understand how that music matched the guy on the cover of Highway 61. <laughs> I, like, I didn't understand how, you know, it, it, it I didn't get it, but I, I knew it was me, but I still just didn't get it. And, uh, so I said, my friend, uh, Danny Harwitz, uh, we were friends ever since, uh, you know, tiny little kids. Um, he convinced his parents to get me, uh, Grace Hits Volume 2 for, uh, my birthday at the end of 1971. And that was the first step. And, um, then I had the world's worst Bob Dylan collection. I had, um, I got, you know, Bangladesh, which was good. And then I had, what, uh, Pat Garrett and that, uh, that Dylan album that Columbia put out and, <laughs> and then, uh, Planet Waves. But, um, yeah, Danny, uh, Danny's friend, uh, Steve Kessler had an extra ticket for Dylan at the NASA Coliseum. I'm from Long Island and Danny, uh, you know, secured it for me. And I went there and it just, I couldn't believe, you know, the band blew me away and Dylan blew everything away and it just changed my perception and just knocked down. It was the first step of knocking down the whatever parameters I had of what music could be. And, uh, that sent me down the road. Wow, that's interesting. Usually most people's, a lot of people's first concert is is not always the best experience because they're not really sure what to expect. What, can you recall, what what, what was it about that was so transformative? Um, well, he was, he was this mythical guy. I didn't even feel I was worthy of going. I mean, the, as I said, my friend Danny and Steve, they were talking about things like uh, Great White Wonder, and I didn't know what they were talking about. Hmm. And, um, and it was, um, I'm not sure... Um, uh, do you know that Maxell ad where the guy is sitting in front of the speakers and his hair starts blowing back? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. right, right, sure. It was kind of like that. It was the um, 
it was just this loud crackling. It was much more raw than the uh, before the flood album was able to capture. It was just this this unbelievably fast paced, fast paced, powerful rock song. Sorry, with you. Um, most likely, you'll go your way, and I'll go mine. And then he did "Lay Lady Lay," that song that I didn't never really particularly embrace. And he did it at a breakneck speed, and it was it just rocked. And then then uh, it was just one song after another. I was familiar with some of them. Um, some of them I knew because I read about them. I hadn't actually heard them. Like I knew when to cheer during a, "It's All Right, Ma," you know, with the but the, um, the, <laughs> the president must have to stand naked. Um, and uh, the only song, the only song I hadn't heard of at all was um, "Ballad of Hollis Brown," which was. Uh, probably my favorite for a variety of reasons, but Robbie Robertson's guitar playing was amazing. I hadn't heard of the song and I couldn't wait to buy Before the Flood so I could hear it again. <laughs> and of course, he didn't put it on there. Of course not. And um, right. So um, that's uh, one of the first lessons I learned. You're not going to get what you want from him. He's going <laughs> to do what he wants. And either you can figure it out or he doesn't care if you do or you don't to a certain extent. Um, he's on his uh, his own uh, you know journey. After that, I mean, did you continue to go see him? How many times have you seen him in concert? Uh, uh, well, I stopped counting at like 77. It's probably close to wow. 100. But, but I I saw him with the Rolling Thunder Review, and I saw him in 1978, and then I didn't see him again until uh, Tom Petty. And uh, you know, every time is different. And I, um, since we're, talk- we're getting towards um, a recording from 1978, you know, the Rolling Thunder Review show was uh, the Night of the Hurricane. And... Uh, I'm, I'm, where are you located? Where are you? Where are you? Uh, we are. I'm in uh, Podzone Central. is located in Southern New Jersey. Okay, so um, so you're uh, so you'll know someone I'm talking about. So I live. I grew up on Long Island, and um, when tickets went, I, I was listening to WAWFM whenever possible, even you know when I shouldn't have been like when I was doing my homework, because <laughs> that that was like the internet. That's the only way you can really find out anything. And um, they kept on saying, Bob Dylan's doing these shows and I really wanted to go and I was too young to drive and how was he even going to figure out how to get there? And they, it just seemed like this most exciting, amazing thing ever. And then um, they, in the New York Times, uh, in the Arts and Leisure, Leisure section had a, an ad on, I guess it must have been November 30th, uh, that the next day tickets were going to go on sale for the night of the hurricane the, ne- uh, the next morning, only at Madison Square Garden. And so I asked my parents, you know, can I skip school and take the Long Island Railroad into Penn Station and get tickets? And they said, yes. So, um, wow. I know. And it's limited to, and, uh, I got there at a quarter to 10. Tickets were supposed to go on sale at 10. And according to what they said at the box office, people were just lined out all night. So they, they actually put tickets on sale at one o'clock, according to the people at the box office. And so I got there. There's no line. Um, I got last row on the side, very happy to get them. And then I went back on the Long Island Railroad <laughs> and went home <clears throat> and then went the next uh, week. And I couldn't actually stay for the whole show because uh, no one would go with me. There was Because I think some, well, it's a long story, but basically I think some people were afraid that's like, oh, it's a, it's a political show. And, you know, maybe, you know, is it safe? Or I don't know what they were thinking. But anyway, my sister went. <laughs> and, um, and, but if we didn't leave by, I think at like 1230, the next train was like at 330 and already you know, I couldn't believe I was even going. So, so we stayed up till the song uh, hurricane and then we got to, you know, my sister, you know, said we got to go. And, and, you know, it, which is, it, you know, it's on one hand that sucks. On the other hand, I taped the show. It was a legendary kind of tape for a while, uh, you know, around 1999, it kind of 
I traded with somebody and then you know, made the rounds on the internet. And, um, but you get the, on the original tape, which didn't get traded, you, like you hear me moping, you can hear the Long Island Railroad doors close. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, of course, yeah, it was, you know, that also was great. It was nothing like the previous show. And so, so during this time, I'm buying as many Dylan records as I could sort of afford. And, uh, then, uh, I went to college in Boston and, uh, he was playing the Boston Garden and I got a whole bunch of tickets for everyone. I thought everyone would want to go. And actually it was more like, come on, you got to see Bob. <laughs> and, you know, um, and had this weird negative energy before the show even happened. And, um, I'd already seen the Rolling Stones that summer and that had a similar thing. Like I finally seen the Rolling Stones. I mean, I always wanted to see them. And in retrospect, it was a great show, but at the time, it just seemed disappointing. And all these legends that I, you know, I couldn't believe, you know, I finally was fortunate to see and they're not what I want. And uh, the Dylan uh, at the garden, uh, the Boston garden, like the, the sound, the sound was terrible, you know, very echoey. And it was exactly what I feared <laughs> at the time, which was this, this big band show with backing singers and weird arrangements. And <laughs> again, I didn't, Again, everyone was walked away disappointed. And looking back, it's one of my favorite shows. But at the time, like a lot of Dylan stuff, I didn't get it. And um, it just had, you know, everyone walked away. All the, I, I, I don't know how much detail you want to go into, but um, basically I bought two sets of eight tickets because I, I had eight in reserve one place, but I didn't trust it. So I got eight more tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know, do you know, you're familiar with uh, Seth Rogoboy? Uh, no, um, he's um, he's from my hometown, and so is um, and uh, you know Scott Warmoth? Uh of, of of him, yes, yes. So um, we all come from the same area on Long Island. <laughs> Must be something in the water. But anyway, uh, I got a Seth. Um, Seth's a, a big um, Dylan guy too, and he wrote a book called um, Prophet Mystic Poet, which uh, explores his um, Jewish roots. Anyway, uh, so I got him a ticket. Uh, my sister went. Like people from Italy that I knew were there. And everyone's just kind of like, what the hell happened? <laughs> and, um, and I, I just kind of overdosed. I bought all those records in a very short period of time. And I wouldn't say I was in depth in terms of the interpretations. I just liked, you know, the cool rhymes and everything just about him just seemed really interesting. And yeah, this is around the time of Ronaldo and Clara and then the hard rain special and, and all this stuff. And again, all this stuff I love now, but at the time uh, it was all head scratching stuff. And then that, after that happened, I, even I had, again, it's like, I didn't think he was terrible. I thought I didn't get it. And, um, so in 1981, uh, I spent uh, six months in London. And while I was there, I had, I was on a very low budget, but I saw the second uh, edition of, um, Michael Gray's Song and Dance Man. And I just said, Oh, that is a lot of nice. I don't know if you have that edition, but there's a lot, a lot of nice pictures. It's a very glossy thing. And I figured, I'll pick that up. And um, it opened my mind to everything about Bob Dylan. Um, he liked parts of self-portrait, which I hadn't bought yet, but I, uh, I just heard it was like a joke. And he <laughs> pointed out things that were good about it. And he said uh, Street Legal was the second best Dylan album of the 70s. And so I couldn't wait to go back to the U.S. and, and listen to it. And... Um, uh, you know, that album baffled me when it came out as well. And, but when I came back, you know, I was a few years older and a few more life experiences and a few more things I could relate to. 
And uh, probably more than any other of his albums, I could just never get sick of it. It always sounds fresh. So many of his albums, I've listened to so many times. One great thing about the Bootleg series is you can hear different versions and so on of songs you're so familiar with. But uh, that one, I just listened to it over and over again. I never get sick of it. So when you put out the Bootleg at a concert, uh, and it and it. Well, I didn't put a bootleg. I just I just taped it. <laughs> well, you taped it, but it became a bootleg. I mean, so when Bob Dylan sings about uh, in Sugar Baby, another song about a horse, uh, some <laughs> of these bootleggers they make pretty good stuff. He's talking about you. He's talking about you, Harold. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, <laughs> I didn't get any of the money from the publishing. I know that. <laughs> so okay. Well, that's oh my goodness, that's amazing. You've seen some just remarkable shows in the man's history. Uh, I, I before we move on to the song though, I I have to ask you. You I mentioned you know in the in the intro I mentioned that you're an author and you wrote a book about Bob and compiled a book, Friends and Other Strangers, Bob Dylan Examined. I mean, how how did that how did that come about? I mean, that's that's. I put together a book myself once many years ago, and man, it's a Herculean labor even to do the most basic book. So I'm sort of fascinated how that came about. Uh, sure. Well, um, uh, 2009, my, I had a friend, a big Beatles fan, uh, Steve Marinucci, and he, the previous year, actually, he encouraged me to write a, a Beatles blog. He said, I can't pay for anything. And I said, well, what is a blog exactly? <laughs> I started writing a blog for him. And then he started writing for something, examiner.com, and writing, he was the Beatles examiner. And they had a, they were just starting out and they were looking for all different kinds of examiners. And one was a Bob Dylan examiner. And I um, uh, applied for it and got it. I don't know if there's much competition or they had very high standards. But in any case, um, Around this time, I don't know if you remember this controversy, 2009, but there were uh, reports that um, from the theme time radio era, Bob Dylan said he was going to be a GPS voice, if you remember that the novelty. Like, no, I don't said. remember that. Oh. <laughs> like Homer Simpson and all these people were doing voices. And um, he said it as a joke uh, months earlier on the U.S. XM, you know, Sirius XM show. But in England, they were all um, later because uh, they, they went on the BBC. It wasn't they didn't have Sirius XM out there, and so when I, I'm trying to remember exactly the order, but I think it's something like the the Telegraph or one of the big UK papers was making fun of Bob, saying, "Oh, he's going to be a GPS voice," and then the enemy said, "Oh." Ha ha ha! Bob Dylan's going to be a GPS voice, and I knew it was a joke because I it was just kidding. Um, and I remember it's um, introducing a Ray Charles song, um, "Lonely Avenue." <clears throat> and then, and this is right, right around the time I'm trying to figure out, you know, jumping through hoops to figure out how to how this platform works. Mm-hmm. And then, as I'm every day, like the New York Times wrote an article, and then. The Washington Post wrote an article and um, NPR had an article. And it was like, it's like, does anyone, <laughs> is anyone paying attention? <laughs> Are these real newspapers? I mean, it was just, it was fascinating that this thing was happening. And that was the first thing I wrote was pointing out what, you know, that it was a joke. You know, as I said, I think I wrote one of the lines was the Joker man was joking. And um, then, so that was the first thing. And, and uh, I submitted to uh, Expecting Rain and it got a lot of um, hits right away. And all of a sudden I had this kind of um, uh, platform to talk about Bob Dylan. And then, well, what am I going to write about next? And it's like, well, it's the, whatever, the 24th anniversary of this or something. <laughs> whatever. I, you know, I had a job where I, I had the mornings off. So I would just write something every morning and submit it. So I accumulated tons of stuff. And then it, it went from 
2009 to 2015 or so. And uh, then I went out of business. So I saved as many articles as I could. And um, I had a friend who, um, who was the doors examiner and he compiled the stuff he wrote uh, for them. He compiled a, that's not even true. He had a book about the doors through this uh, company, um, Benyon Kearney in England. I asked him about it. And I said, uh, do you have a contact? And um, so I contacted this guy. He was all up for it. Um, he had some suggestions about, you know, it has to be a certain theme. So I compiled basically things about people. Um, I wrote about many different subjects, but that seemed to be, you know, a cohesive thing to write about, to, uh, to uh, read about, I guess, if you were going to buy it. And it's done on demand. There, it's not in any stores. And, uh, you know, it was very successful and they were, they did a lot of the heavy lifting part. I just had to edit everything and decide what to do, that type of thing. It's still a lot of work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's one of, um, yeah. And I just moved <laughs> to, and, um, uh, when all this was happening. So I just moved and I was editing, I was trying to decide what to write about and you know, what to edit everything and update things and things that, um, I got more information about in the meantime and uh, some corrections that people uh, uh, alerted me to. And um, then, you know, now it's a book. It's marvelous. Though you mentioned when you saw him in 78, uh, was it the, was the later in 78? Was he doing street legal songs at that point or was it before the record had come out? Yeah, it was at the end of the year. It was um, September, I think. Yeah, the album was already out. And um, yeah, he was doing some of the songs from that. The, the encore was... Um, change of the guards so um oh wow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow all right well listen let's let's talk about new pony today as i mentioned it's the second song off of street legal following changing of the guards and mm-hmm. uh i i quoted the opening verse it continues on sometimes i wonder what's going on in the mind of miss x sometimes i wonder what's going in the mind of miss x you know she's got such a sweet disposition i never know what the poor girl's going to do to me next and and the, of course behind him you've got the uh the Queens of Rhythm, although I think they were they weren't called that back then. Right. Um, singing behind Bob, so I, I will admit. I mean, we've talked about it on the show many times. Uh, I love Street Legal. I don't know any real diehard Dylan fan who doesn't love Street Legal. I think it's the album that uh, the real diehard fans will most go to bat for. That said, for the longest time, this was my least favorite song off of Street Legal. I still liked it, but it was my least favorite. Partly because the sound is so harsh to me that his vocal is just very um, kind of pinched and it just doesn't have the warmth to it that some of the other songs do, which, you know, of course, is on purpose. Right. Um, But also for the longest time, I could not figure out thematically how this figured into Street Legal. I I could sort of piece together how, you know, what he was talking about, you know, in Changing of the Guards or No Time to Think and Is Your Love in Vain and we better talk this over and stuff like that. But new pony was the one I was just like, what doesn't fit on this record? And even all these years later, I still have a little bit of trouble getting my mind around it. So I'm fascinated. Why did you want to talk about this song? Uh, well, a couple of things. First of all, you already did 150 songs, whatever. <laughs> so I had, to, <laughs> I, had to, I had to pick something you didn't already do. I did, uh, I'm not sure the, the order of which to talk about this, but um, I, when I at the Bob Dylan symposium in 2019. Did you go to that? Unfortunately, I did not. Okay. So um, my third choice was to talk about um, street legal. It was called Bob Dylan street legal and the ghost of Elvis. Now um, when Elvis died, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how, how old you were, how aware you were of what, when he, that happened, but he died on my birthday. 
on on your birthday that you were born? I no, just, no, oh. I was. I turned, uh, I turned six in nineteen seventy seven. He died on my birthday, but I ah, I distinctly October. remember that because the news came over the radio. Yeah, so um, I was um, so the I was thinking about I was mowing the lawn. I was still living at home. This before I went off to college. And uh, as, mowing the, as I was mowing the lawn, I was thinking about the previous year um, when I bought uh, Nash Lampoon. And on the cover of Nash Lampoon was this bloated, sweaty, grotesque caricature of Elvis. And I was just thinking about it because it had been about a year before. And you mowing the lawn, just your mind goes wherever it goes. And I just thought, you know, yeah, how did that happen? Whatever happened to him? You know, and I was too young to really understand a lot of things like street legal or Elvis or a lot of them. <laughs> and um and then uh, I went in to get a glass of water, and then I went upstairs to turn on my radio, yeah, you know, WNEW for a second, just because that was like checking your phone for news. <laughs> and uh, and they just mentioned that Elvis had died. You know, he was a, a sad figure at the time, and I had not much like uh, Lay Lady Lay. It, the other song that I didn't get at the time was in the ghetto. It's like, who's? What does this have to do with? <laughs> You know, the guy who's in Jailhouse Rock. I mean, what, what you know, what's going on? <laughs> and, um, and I knew it was sad, but I didn't have the knowledge or respect of Elvis I got, uh, you know, a short time later. Um, and, you know, it's not like I, it's not like I didn't like him. I, I, I'd watch, I remember when he was playing in New York for the first time and he was doing press conferences and it was all very exciting. Um, but it just seemed like he had his best years were behind him. Sure. And, uh, so, when and you know it, it, uh, from various reports uh dylan was incredibly deeply affected by presley's death i suppose he didn't talk to him for a week and he, i guess he, there's more to it but basically that's that says basically you need to know and when he went on tour he it seemed like an elvisy kind of show it was, it was a big band these arrangements that were not necessarily with, uh, you know, as you, the backing singers and uh, it just seemed very much different from playing with the band or the Rolling Thunder Review, which just seemed kind of mainstream. Bob Dylan can't be mainstream <laughs> no matter how hard he tries. I mean, it always has his unique take on everything. And um, so it wasn't until later when they sort of rehabilitated Elvis's reputation. And I, yeah, after the initial uh, glut of product, you can buy a lot of his records for a dollar ninety nine, like the Sun Sessions, or you could buy a box set for ten bucks. And I started to explore this stuff, and then uh, I realized, or yeah, you know, everything I say basically is my opinion before I say anything, because you know, yeah, I don't talk to Bob about these things. But um, effect of Elvis made a lot of sense both on the album Street Legal and on the tour. And when I had to write this thing for the, for Tulsa, uh, I went song by song and I was just trying to, I'm with you. Like at first, like new pony, like when you, I'm, I'm glad you kept on referring to it as the second song. Cause you think about the second song, the second song on the planet waves is going, going, gone. The second song on, uh, blown the tracks is simple twist of fate. The second song on desire is ISIS. These are like, after the first song, it's like another awesome song. Yeah. Right. After, yeah. He, after. He did Bob Bob's second songs on records tend to be really good. Yeah. I Tombstone Blues or something. <laughs> he really yeah. knows how to do it. And um so when you got New Pony, already you're a bit baffled by Change of the Guard as it is. And then I just thought, God, this song is just ugly. It's just <laughs> the song is just <laughs> uh I like and again, not that it's bad, but I don't get it. 
And then when I was trying to think about what to write about for the, the talk in Tulsa, I just remember thinking, it's like, is there an Elvis connection? Because there are a lot of Elvis connections on the album, you know, at least in my opinion. And then there's a song on the second Elvis Presley album, you want to call Elvis, I think it's the last song. It's called Old Shep, which is this corny song about, um, and Elvis sang this when he was a kid, uh, the first time he sang the album, I think he sang it. And um, it, was, I think it, was a, it was a Red Foley song, maybe. Um, anyway, he, uh, I guess Elvis, just like a cowboy or something and sang it in public. <laughs> but um, uh, it's, it, there's this uh, dog, I don't even remember the dog. I think saved this kid's life, but the, you know, but the, after a while, the dog was old, and the doctor says nothing you can do. So you, go get your uh, rifle and aim it at his head. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and then then he said, and Elvis sings, um, um, "I wish it was me instead." And then Dylan sings, "It hurt me more than it could have hurt her." And then when you think about how a lot of Dylan songs. Um, may have started again you know dylan isn't really will uh, give the um the root of how songs uh develop but uh if you uh you know new pony you know old shep i mean new pony they have the same amount of letters <laughs> there's old new you know shep pony dog pony dog and pony show you know song and dance man i mean i you know it, you know it, is it the is it elvis uh rooted i don't know but that at least for me, opened it up. And, uh, you know, there are, there are um, if you think about, uh, like in the basement tapes, he'll, he was singing things like um, that big dumb blonde with her wheel gorged or, you know, <laughs> slap that drummer with a pie that smells or, you know, like he's done it before, but it wasn't, you didn't associate it with a, a woman in his life. <laughs> and, um, and so he's here, you know, clearly he's not, he's not into bestiality. He's not really a pony that he wants to jump on top of. He's, uh, he wants to, it's clearly a, a new female love interest. Um, and the other one, as I said, you know, may have been inspired by um, that song, uh, that uh, old Shep song. But, um, you know, one of the, so when I was uh, looking down all the previous podcasts and one of the things, for instance, was um, that I was thinking of was uh, Ain't Talking. And, you know, I listened to the podcast and what I remember when that album came out, the um, Modern Times, when I got to the last song, you know, much like the second song, basically every song and every Bob Dylan album. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the big final statement at the end of the album is usually something. And it took me a few listens to get to it. And then I, to get, to get into it, I should say. And then when he said the gardener is gone, I thought of George Harrison. This is the first album he put out since George Harrison died. And then he was, you know, he, someone hit me from behind, you know, and there are some other lines. And I thought, it's not about George Harrison, but I wonder if he was thinking about George Harrison. And then, you know, that type of thing. And also, like, when uh, he, when he's interviewed, and again, I didn't research this, but I think when someone asked him, I think, it, you know, is, is Sarah, you know, someone assumed the song Sarah was about his wife, Sarah. And he said no. And I think what he means about it, what he might have meant, again, it's my interpretation, is like, well, it's inspired by her, but she's not a you know glamorous nymph with an arrow and bow. It's a you know it's a you know it's um you know metaphor and hyperbole or whatever just to um to uh, create a song. So I think for him there are these you know, like needless to say he's been known to take some other songs and make them his own, <laughs> and um and I think he does that uh, in 
um, new pony. And uh, so, so there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, the Elvis connection is not anything I would have, I would have taken. So that's, that's really interesting. I mean, certainly um, I you know heard the criticisms of the, the sound on the tour was that it was a big Elvis sound. And even some of the crueler uh, critics dubbed it the alimony tour because he right. just got divorced, which is, you know, I, gee, I wonder why Bob is you know, a little recalcitrant when talking to the press when they write things like that. For, um, exactly. uh, now, I mean, again, when I, when I, you know, heard the song, uh, you know, I was able to say, well, all right, he's obviously, not really talking about a horse. He's talking about, you know, at the very least a relationship mm-hmm. that uh, he is putting a bullet in the head of metaphorically. Mm-hmm. And now he's got this new relationship and, you know, he's not, uh, he's the, 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 the singer at the very least, the narrator of this song is trying a little too hard in my, at least in my opinion uh, is trying too hard to convince the former lover how about how great this new one is? Uh, because he's, you know, I got a new pony. She knows how to foxtrot, lope, and pace. By the way, until BobDillon.com, I could never figure out what the hell he was singing. <laughs> foxtrot, lope, and pace. Like, what? You know, who even says those words? Well, I got a right. new pony. She knows how to foxtrot, lope, and pace. She got great big hind legs and long black checky hair above her face. And he's going on and on about this great new horse. And it's almost like the guy's, like, trying a little too hard. You know, he's just like, okay, it's, you know, you, you've, you're broken up with somebody, you've got a new girlfriend and you bother to go to the old one and be like, see, look at this new, look at this new shiny one. It's way better than this one. And it's to me that by the fact that the narrator is doing this, Dylan himself is revealing the insecurity of the singer. Because if, you, if you're, if you're really happy in a new relationship, you don't need to lord it over the old person. You just move on. But this guy can't do that. And he's going on and on about this, this horse even though it opens with this grim image of having to kill the poor thing <laughs> yeah um yeah and that's uh that brings up another thing that uh it's been a relatively new realization as i listen to his stuff is that he is that bob dylan is it's not his diary <laughs> you know right. it's not he's not whatever he's doing he's still a performer he's still an artist he's still there's still a distance between whatever is going on in his life and what he's writing and singing about but it, it's so believable. It's hard to separate those things. And, uh, well, <laughs> I don't also say about that, but he, um, I don't know. He's, uh, but as you say, he's, um, you know, it, as I said, it's an ugly song. And I, as that, I think it's the main reason people are, have trouble with the album because it, it, it is, it is so nasty. And, and um, you know, what happened to the romantic, you know, simple twist of fake guy, where did he go? <laughs> It's also very lascivious, and we'll get to some of the lines later on. You mentioned them earlier about the climbing up on you. It's it's a very kind of lascivious song, and and uh, I find the Street Legal to be one of Bob's more and until you get to the later stuff. Uh, there, there's some more like I don't want to use the word explicit because it's not explicit the way we think of it, but it's more explicit than a lot of Dylan songs than we were familiar with, and so to me, there's a lot of that on across this record. Uh, on some of the other songs, there's some lines here. And then again, it, there's some, you know, wonderfully gentle stuff. It's one of the reasons I love this record. Mm-hmm. But it the, the, just, again, the way the sound of it, the way that Bob sort of leans into the phrasing, it just has like, it's, it, there's just, it almost has like a, like a weird bump and grind kind of stripper sound to it. Yeah, exactly. I was going to use that phrase with the saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does have that kind of, it's a, sle- yeah, it's a sleazy. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, it's another reason why people, <laughs> people had trouble with it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, cha- it's a challenge. And, uh, yeah, you know, you just got me thinking, it's like, how much is, is him and how much is, is the, what he's trying to say? And is he really trying to say to this former partner, which may or may not be someone he was married to, or could be some, any other person he was seeing in the meantime? Um, or is it just um, he heard something like Old Shep and said, I'm going to write a song called New Pony. And just <laughs> and it's based on nothing, you know? I mean, no one knows. But um, he, he clearly was going through a difficult time between or among, uh, between or among all the things going on in his life from uh, the, the end of his marriage. There's um, the critical... Uh, drubbing he got for Ronaldo and Clara and, and the hard rain special. And, um, yeah, he's, and, and one thing, uh, you know, Harry Hugh, right? Yeah. I think he was on the Yes. He's been yeah, on the yeah, show. Yeah. 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 He, that was, yeah. That was the first, uh, that's when I became familiar with your podcast. Um, so he posted something not that long ago on Twitter saying that the album itself was going along well in terms of the sound of the recording. And then Bob changed it all. So it sounded so muddled. And I, one of the things when I started getting into it, um, uh, I'm sure, you know, most of your listeners know, but in case they don't, uh, the, the original mix was a very muddy mix. And in 1999, uh, Don DeVito, uh, remixed it and made it much clearer. And I think it's better for it, but there is something to be said about having it be so muddy and reflecting again, what he's going through. Um, you know, there are a lot of reports. <laughs> it sounds it, like what was going on in his head probably at that time. Yeah. And, um, you know, people write about stuff and, you know, I don't really care about, you know, the, the intimate personal things about his life, you know, just as far aside from the obvious things of how it affects his art. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a tough time, you know, death of Elvis too. And just, uh, and then he, after Elvis died, he was the, I guess, probably the number, the, the number one American artist. And, um, so he was filling in Elvis's shoes. And then if you look at the back cover of the Street Legal album, there's a picture of him looking similarly to uh, uh, an Elvis Presley album that came out like in 1976. It's a very similar pose and outfit. And uh, that is, um, you know, he, 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 he was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, uh, and I think one of the reasons I think that Street Legal rings true to people is that, um, it is, it's basically, it's the album that people think blood on the tracks is, which is, you know, this is the end of a relationship big time. And this is um, a delve into his inner psyche and, you know, some self-pity, some uh, uh, realization that um, at the end that he is happy to be alive, um, uh, but he is, you know, alone or, <clears throat> or this person is gone. And that is devastating to someone who, um, you know, has had in many ways uh, this incredible journey in his life from, you know, just showing up in New York in the winter of uh, 61 and uh, getting a record contract and writing themes and, you know, <clears throat> changing music. And and then all of a sudden, well, you, you, I always think of, uh, I don't know if you know the uh, Neil Young song, I Love Art Blues. It's kind of obscure, but no, it, I'm not familiar with that. Um, it's um, 
my songs are all so long and my words are all so sad. Why can't I choose between the best things I ever had? Something like that. And I always think of Bob Dylan when I hear that song, <clears throat> even though it, 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 you know, nothing to do with Bob Dylan. It was written in 1974, but um, yeah, it's that balance. How can, can I be a musician and a, an artist and follow my muse and have a personal life? I mean, he seemed to not clearly, um, you know, after his motorcycle accident, he spent eight years at home pretty much. And uh, he couldn't do both at the same time. And then when he did go back on the road, that led to probably uh, the things that led to his personal life changing dramatically. The next uh, verse in the song, uh, on, at least on BobDylan.com, is interesting because he doesn't sing it on, right. the, on the song. It's well now. It was early in the morning. I seen your shadow in the door. It was early in the morning. I seen your shadow in the door. Now I don't have no. I don't have to ask nobody. I know what you come here for. Uh, that 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 verse seems. I can't really seem to connect it to the rest of the song. And mm-hmm. I wonder if Bob himself eventually felt like that because, as I said, he doesn't sing it on the song. Well, um, uh, <clears throat> now uh, I don't remember specifically, but when in Tulsa they. They showed a lot of footage and pictures and some audio of things to give an example of what uh, Tulsa had to offer. And one of them was an outtake version of New Pony. And it had three chords instead of two. And it, it probably had that verse. I, don't, it, I was just you know, trying to absorb it all. Uh, uh, absorb it all. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it's, it, it probably... And I agree with you. The song, it doesn't, I don't think it particularly adds anything to the song, mm-hmm. but uh, just, you know, in the Tulsa archives, there is another version uh, probably with that first that has three chords instead of two. Where are we going to get, when are we going to get that bootleg series? Come on, Sony. What are you doing? <laughs> what are hashtag, you? hashtag street legal boost, street legal bootleg series. <laughs> Seriously. My goodness. It's, you know, it's really uh, funny. When I looked at that verse though, there really, that feels like a verse that you could have seen on blood on the tracks. That, that feels like a something you would have seen there. There's some, there's something uh, more plain spoken about it, yeah, uh, than the rest of the song. And so I could sort of see that that if, if that had appeared in, inside of a Blood on the Track song, I think it would have fit perfectly. But on a street legal song, it just seems to not too, fit. It's too nice. <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah, I think that's kind of what it is. It's, which is which is it's funny sensitive. Because, well, I get which is funny because to me this and I we haven't done an episode on this song yet, but uh, we better talk this over, mm-hmm. uh, which is the, the the penultimate song on the record. To me, is one of the most gentle, nice breakup songs anybody's ever recorded, and it's my favorite song off the whole record. Mm-hmm. And and so I mean, he's obviously the whole record is on him just being scathing. Right. Um, but a lot of it is, but so, I mean, obviously he was capable of that. And so I could sort of imagine even, even the language in that song is more florid than some of the stuff on, I don't know, as I'm saying it, I mean, good Lord, idiot wind is florid, <laughs> Get out. but, but it just, again, it just, it doesn't seem to fit on, on, on this song. And again, I understand that's why Bob probably took it out. Um, and then he goes on, he says, uh, they say you're using voodoo. Your feet walk by themselves. They say you're using voodoo. I've seen your feet walk by themselves. Oh, baby, that guy you've been praying to is going to give you back what you've been wishing on someone else. A couple things about this verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, the, the, I love the line about you're using voodoo. Your feet walk by themselves, which, I again, I always took as he's talking to the departed lover who is, from what he's hearing, the narrator is hearing, mm-hmm. is doing okay. 
<laughs> this person's doing okay. And he's like, you must be using voodoo. Like it's, it's fake. It can't really, you can't really be doing okay. So you must be using some black art to, to be able to be okay. And it's, again, I love the sort of sneeringness of it. But then that last line uh, is going to give you back what you're wishing on someone else. Like that is almost like Yoda speak. <laughs> it's so inverted in terms of the way you say words and every, uh, uh, you know, peeling behind the, the peeling back the curtain a little bit, everybody, it took me like four times to do the intro for this episode <laughs> just to say the lines because the, the, the way Bob inverts some of the language here, it's so complicated to, to say, let alone sing. Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, you got to make it rhyme. So, <laughs> right, right. But, um, right. uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, this, I remember, uh, on, uh, the next song on the album, uh, no time to think one of the reviews at the time, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember what the source was, but, um, uh, they just said basically they had too many words <laughs> <laughs> and it just reminded me of that, uh, the Amadeus movie. I don't know if you've seen that, but they say it's too many yeah. notes, you know, too many notes. Um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that critic was saying. Yeah. Bob Dylan uses too many words. That's a, that's a criticism that, you know, <laughs> wow. But, uh, you don't hear it too often. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that's, yeah, I didn't, you know, one of the things that I like about your podcast, if I could just, uh, stop for a minute and, and compliment you is that you do go into this sort of detail that um, I don't go, I usually don't go into such detail myself. I just, it's like, if, as things hit me, that's how it goes. Um, and uh, so one of the things is when you, especially when you and your guests go line by line and you go through things, you come up with a lot of interesting aspects that I, that I hadn't thought of. And, um, you know, when you, so when you say, you say you're using voodoo, um, and your feet walk by themselves, I don't know if I, if I had such a, um, an interesting interpretation of it. Um, it just seemed like, you know, there's Lucifer and there's voodoo and, you know, there, there's, it just seemed this, um, you know, devilish kind of vibe to the whole song, but, you know, deep blues, uh, mm-hmm. kind of echoing to you know robert johnson at the crossroads you know that kind of thing and um and uh you know that so uh you know i just uh think that's a really uh cool interpretation that you had as i didn't have it but um yeah it just seems like uh it's almost like a a religious thing too i mean in a a negative way or Mm -hmm, a negative way but it's like you know you know you're god whoever that is whoever you're praying to um, you, you, know, you, you know, what you give is what you get, you know, the love you make is equal to the love you take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get right. He's, he's sort of saying, uh, you're going to get re- vengeance wreaked upon you, uh, by what you've done. And of course, you know, that would be a, a sort of a vengeful God is something Bob would grab with both hands, uh, <laughs> just very, mm-hmm. and, by the end of 1978, even, uh, he would be very, very much sort of, uh, on board with that kind of sentiment. And then the song wraps up with uh, "Come over here, pony. I want to climb up on one time on you." Uh, well, come over here, pony. I I want to climb one time up on you. Well, you've been so you're so bad and nasty, but I love you. Yes, I do. And again, there's this, this kind of wonderful helplessness in this song. The, the, again, the guy kind of knows. Again, there's, I feel like there there is so much going on here. The guy knows that he's kind of being a dick. <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the old partner, but he can't help himself too. Uh, yeah. And he almost knows that it's going to end badly. Right. Uh, you know, I live, you're so bad and you're nasty, but I love you. 
yes, I do. There's this kind of like, oh, all right. And this is, all, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then, and it, at the same time, it's so the, the, the backup singers, it's such a wailing sound. I mean, I could almost picture the song being done um, like acoustically or something like it's just sort of dark and quiet, but instead you've got the, how much, how much you've got the girls blaring out again. It is, it's, it's, it's hard on the ears, the song in a lot of ways. Right. They're like, they're like a Greek chorus. They're like torturing yeah. him, tormenting him. He's tormented. Yes. They're tormenting them. They're like tormenting the three witches him from Macbeth or something. Or, you know? yeah. And uh, yeah. So um, yeah. And even it, as you said, uh, he, he's, you know, I mean, who knows what, you know, as I said, I don't, I don't know what Bob Dylan is like in real life. And, you know, he could, this could be totally fiction and, and he could be just saying, I'm going to, you know, he could look at this as very, a very funny dark song if you want to. And if you think he's just kidding, like, I'm going to write this really nasty song. Um, and that is um, a legitimate one, I guess. Um, but uh, it, 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 but it is so dark and it is so <laughs> nasty and there's no romance <laughs> at all. No. <laughs> no sweet talking. No, you know, what's a sweetheart like you doing a dump like this? Right. Like yeah. that in there. It's, uh, you know, yeah, it's not even like I, you know, I want, it's not even, I want to make love to you. It's like, I just want to jump on top of you or whatever. Yeah. Says. Jump. I mean, what a, what a climb, way to phrase it. I yeah, want to yeah. climb on, top, climb of on top of you. <laughs> oh man. Um, man. yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's the cherry on the top of that, <laughs> that song. <laughs> <laughs> there is a a Charlie Patton song named uh, called Pony Blues. And mm-hmm. of course, we know that Bob is a fan of, of Charlie Patton. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some lines in there that it opens up with baby saddle my pony, saddle up my black mare. I'm going to find a rider baby in the world somewhere. And then it ends with, I got something to tell you when I get a chance, something to tell you when I get a chance. I don't want to marry, just want to be your man. Uh, which to me, Bob is sort of paraphrasing here with the, you're so bad and nasty, but I love you. It's like this sort of show of devotion, but then it's, again, it's this kind of half-assed, really. Uh, and you, again, you know, it's got this sort of a fatalistic sound to it. And then, you know, the, the record sort of brightens up a bit with No Time to Think, even though that song presents its own challenges. Uh, this nine-minute song, or whatever it is about, you know, with these those incredible, crazy rhyme schemes. But yeah, it's, it, this record, I get. It's like I don't want to say I see why some people don't like it because I love it and I loved it from the very first time I ever got it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, after coming off of Planet Waves and Blood on the Tracks and Desire, this is such a change. Not so much thematically, but sound wise and just presentation uh, that I could see why some people were like, "Just what? What the hell is this?" <laughs> Um, you know, and you know, specific to this song, it has been played zero times live. Um, <laughs> if you go on YouTube, you can find a a sound check that he did in uh, Paris in 1978, where they tried the song out, and it sounds like the the one you hear on the record. You hear the the backing up to the the backup singers singing the the same refrain. So uh, I I don't you know obviously we don't know what his problem was with it, uh, but it was never played live i mean the most of the street legal songs didn't get a lot of outings live wise and, and almost all of them that year too very few aside from senior i mean very few other ones right because i mean this this album has the unfortunate timing to be the album just before he did the born again conversion where mm-hmm. he spent two years never singing any of his older songs mm-hmm. so street street legal didn't get much of a chance to ever be aired and then by the time he started singing his older songs 
he kind of went back to the older, older songs and skipped Street Legal entirely. So even to the even to this day, Street Legal songs don't get a whole lot of, of trying out live, which is unfortunate because I would love to hear some of them. But yeah, but this one never been done live. Now there is a cover of it. I found one cover of it by a band called Larkin Poe, which is made up of uh, two sisters apparently. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I actually like it. It's fun. I mean, I for nothing else, it's points for trying. You know, I mean, everybody covers certain Dylan songs, but man, New Pony, really? That's the one you're going to try. So, you know, good on them for, for giving it a shot. Well, A, a it's easy to figure out the chords, both of them. <laughs> um, I think, didn't Jack White do it? Oh, did he? Oh, I was not familiar with that one. And also someone, uh, there's something on the internet, like someone just covered all the street legal somewhere. Uh, um, but I, what I, one thing I, again, to put it this in, uh, this whole thing in perspective is, uh, in 1978, you know, forget about what, what Bob was up to there, you know, punk and new wave and, and disco were all kind of happening. And, uh, some people like, uh, particularly if I remember correctly, street legal came out the week after some girls by the Rolling Stones. Wow. And some girls by the Rolling Stones. And I didn't, again, they were it <laughs> that was that was like i think the, the only thing that stopped greece and santa people from being number one all year i think was some girls they, they, mm-hmm. they um they, and it was you know built in controversies uh, that you know a cover that was banned it had a you know all, you know the song some girls had um you know was, was controversial with the lyrics and and um and also and they were playing at theaters and they were like the biggest band in the world and they was just they, they were just, it was just insane their popularity at the time and there are even some digs uh, of uh, dylan on the album um, and, uh, are you have are you familiar with some girls album oh yes i have it yeah yeah so it's like you know you know i'll buy a, a um a house in zuma beach i'll give you half of what i owe and um uh there's some other a couple other lines but um uh you know there are little digs at bob dylan there and mm-hmm. um but but by the rolling stones uh having you know what's you know usually classified as a disco song isn't really you know it's just a dance song you know, miss you miss and then you. all this punk energy with the skinny ties um you know m- you know the kinks and paul mccartney and wings and, and you know most people even led zeppelin or whatever they all started wearing skinny ties <laughs> and uh uh changing and going along with stuff but really only dylan and the who resisted at first and they just kept on going wherever they were going. And um, that's another thing there. Once again, Dylan was totally out of step with what was going on. But on the other hand, he was kind of doing, he kind of invented punk <laughs> in a way. And, uh, you know, the Rolling Thunder Review was kind of, you know, precursor to, you know, the whole, you know, yeah, it's the, in that movie, um, the Rolling Thunder movie where you see him with Patti Smith and, and hanging out with all those musicians in the village. Uh, there's, um, he kind of already did it. So by the time everyone was doing that, he was just, on his own trip and, you know, he, uh, following where he wanted to go. And, um, you know, it wasn't until he was on uh, David Letterman in 84 that he was wearing skinny ties. Skinny ties. <laughs> like I said, it's, uh, it's, it's said it, it's a, <sighs> again, like when I was listening to it over again, uh, like I said, it, I, I was able to, I'm always able to appreciate it, I guess, but, and I always try and listen to it with a different ear when I know I'm going to be talking about it on the show at the same time. I, like I said, I can also remember my first listen to it, the first time I heard the song, and I was like, what? Huh? Like, yeah, what? No, you know, just kind of like, what? Yeah. I think part of it, too, with me, it, well, there's a couple things, but after reading Michael Gray's book, it opened my mind to it, to interpreting everything not the way 
the, the, the sort of peer pressure mob mentality thing of way of the way people look at Bob Dylan to begin with. And something like New Pony is almost like, I'm going to like the song if it kills me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. I mean, uh, uh, the, as I said, when I was writing for, when I was uh, writing what I was going to say in Tulsa, that uh, sent it in a whole other um, context. And when I connected it to Elvis, and again, may have nothing to do with it, at least for me, it made me uh, uh, appreciate it. And, um, uh, you know, I, it, it's, um, you know, it's a challenge. And I, I totally get what you're saying. It's like, it's not, it's not fun. <laughs> but, but again, again, unless, unless the whole thing, if you do look at it as like, I'm going to write the nastiest song. If you just say, if you just imagine singing it with a smile, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to write this song. I mean, it almost sounds kind of happy at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, uh, if it's like, I'm going to write the nastiest song I could possibly write just as an exercise. <laughs> and um, if you look at it that way, again, you know, to each his own, obviously, but it, you, not thinking about this is Bob Dylan's date book diary of what's going on in his life, but it's just a, an old, as you, you point out in the Charlie Parton song, um, uh, that these are all blues metaphors and, or there, there are blues metaphors and he's uh, Bob Dylaning them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, again, there's a, there's another song that was recorded around this time called stop now, uh-huh. which is, is really fun. And, but it also is lascivious. It's also very, kind of dirty because mm-hmm. he's singing about the, you know, got a big belly, big hips. And if, you know, uh, you better, if you want to go and you better stop now. Cause they're clearly, you know, the song is clearly about we're, we're in the middle of having sex, but before this gets too complicated, you should get out of here. I mean, so it's like, you know, <laughs> you can always imagine why Bob was like, okay, I think I need to find a little old timey religion after this. So, uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, new pony, it's, it's a song that challenges you. It's a song in some ways. It doesn't even want you to like it, but, uh, I'm glad that you've persevered, Harold. Uh, <laughs> like I'm glad song. I got a chance to talk about it. I'm glad there's a song um, you haven't covered yet that I that I really wanted to talk about. So oh, thank you. For we got a, no problem. We got hundreds more to go. So so before we uh, wrap up here, uh, I have to ask you what I've been asking uh, everybody lately. So uh, Bob, uh, whenever Bob finally resumes touring, uh, and he goes to you and he says, "Hey, hey, Harold, I read your book. I like it." And uh, and uh, yeah, the Elvis thing—that's totally what it was. Uh, so as a reward, he's going to let you pick whatever song you want that uh, to open up the show. So what what song would you love to have Bob open a show with that you're uh, attending? Uh, well, the, I, I, of course, I knew this question was coming and I was debating. There was a couple. One one would be uh, just changing other guards because it ties in with this whole thing. But the other thing that if I was being honest, the first thing that came to mind was uh something that was an outtake of down in the groove which is uh his version of god love if you want it <laughs> okay have you heard that yes i have yeah yeah it rocks <laughs> yeah it's good it's good <laughs> yeah i love when he when he comes out and just you know uh you know you know one of the things that people uh it's like when someone like bob dylan does cover versions uh not always but when he does them He's, he doesn't have to be Bob Dylan anymore. He's just having fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he uh, I wish Bob Dylan to have as much fun as he wants. And if he start, opened up with a, a fun version like that or um, any old song, you know, like uh, Don't Stop Me Talking or any of those type of songs, um, I think that would, the crowd would go nuts and I would love it. That would be great. That's a, that's a, that's a great suggestion. So if you had, if you had your choice, what would you pick? 
I'm not. I'm, I don't have to answer that question, Harold. I'm the host. I, <laughs> Take the fifth. <laughs> exactly. I'll think about it some other time. So, uh, well, again, Harold, thank you so much for for doing the show. I'm 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 dismayed that it took us uh, so long to finally get to this because you and I've been talking, Bob, over on Twitter for like a couple of years now. But yeah. uh, I'm glad we finally had you on the show. Thank you so much. So, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Um, well, I have something called uh, the Boston Harold podcast or sometimes under boston herald video podcast if you google, google that and it doesn't send you to the boston herald newspaper um <laughs> uh that's where you can find it i've um um i have an interview coming with uh carla olson who is in the uh, sweetheart like you video and um, yeah and uh, tons of information in there she was she was a great interview and i'm um, working on my uh bootleg 16 uh review and those two things should be up there pretty soon Excellent. Oh, I'm really looking forward to the bootleg 16. It's going to be fun. So uh, again, thank you, Harold, so much for, for doing the show. I very much appreciate it. Uh, of course, everybody, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan and any podcatcher of your choice. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krogh, George Doherty, and Joaquin Meckel for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. So that is going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you later. Bye. On the next episode of Street Legal, Carrie and Dylan turn up the heat. You're going to look back at these times with great fondness. Street Legal, Wednesday at 9 on Universal 9.